Hi, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of Assets Anonymous. This is your 12-step podcast to get grounded in reliability basics and create a culture of continuous improvement with your team. I'm your host, Tom Wilk, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and I am really pleased to be joined today by George Williams and Joe Anderson of Reliability X. Hey, guys, how you doing? Doing great. Outstanding. Thomas, how are you? Doing really good. Doing really good, and I'm looking forward to, the, to today's episode. What do I own, and how critical is it? You know, this is going to be uh, for those listening. The next few episodes will be linked. Um, the the ninth one is going to be focusing on if critical, how does it fail? But we're going to start today by talking about what do I own and how critical is it. Um, so yeah, let's let's start right there. When people are looking to determine what their critical assets are, uh, what should they look for? Maybe we can start by defining what is a critical asset uh, when you guys start these kind of assessments. Well, that really depends on the value the asset derives, right? So first for, for us is defining what an asset is. And there's kind of two approaches to that. One is your typical ISO standard approach. So ISO 55,000 says if it adds value, realistic or potential, it's an asset. However, that's not a great definition for does it sit inside my CMMS? (laughs) Because there's lots of things that add value, like a parking space, but you don't necessarily build it as a piece of equipment in the CMMS, right? Right. So uh, for for intents and purposes of CMMS talk and defining criticality and getting down to failure modes, we usually try to start with defining what an asset is. And the standard canned answer I like to give is if I intend to replace parts on it, it's an asset. If I plan on throwing it out and just replacing it, it's a spare part. Now that's a high level definition. And there's some caveats to that regarding if it is required from a regulatory agency, or if it's a calibrated instrument, then it's still an asset and goes in the system. Uh, But generally speaking, we start with that definition. Uh, And then from there, we move into defining criticality and criticality is based on severity factors uh, and likelihood of failure factors. So, or occurrence factors. So severity is everything that sits inside the business. So if you go to the www.com, insert your company name here.com slash about us. They're going to have a whole bunch of stuff there that they commit to. We are going to be financially beneficial, right? We're going to make profit or if they're publicly traded to our shareholders, we have a commitment. They have a commitment to safety, a commitment to the environment, a commitment to the community. All those things are ways in which the company provides value to the world. And any asset that can impact any of those goals has a severity factor. And so when you're going through severity, you're looking at all those types of factors. Can it impact quality? Can it impact production output? Can it impact financially or safety? Uh, And you identify those impacts. Those impacts uh, end up with an average score across those things. There's lots and lots of ways to do that. And then ultimately you end up at an occurrence score, which is how often does this asset fail? That can use either history you already have, or a general mean time to failure um, that may exist in, in industry. Uh, and then you, that's a product score and you end up with some criticality factor. And then that criticality factor typically has a much broader number range than what sits inside your CMMS. So then you convert it to either ABC or one, two, three, or one, two, three, four, five, based on how it sits inside your CMMS. Yay, criticality. 
it, it occurs to me that this kind of assessment, guys, is really the fundamental step that separates uh, people who are focused on reactive maintenance and reliability versus proactive uh, activity. Because, you know, we've talked a lot about various things that we can do to help drive the culture towards becoming more proactive. But here you are actually taking a look at what you own in the plan and sorting it into different classes and then figuring out how to record the work that's being done, where to record the work that's being done, how to assess the value of these assets. Uh, I'm curious, agree, disagree that this is this is a key step to sort of transition out from reactive mode and get more proactive? Well, first thing you want to do is your criticality analysis, and that'll help drive the determination of your equipment maintenance strategy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's definitely one of the first steps. Um, you know, like George said, it's it's what do we own? So you got to make sure all your assets are in the system or you have it documented what all assets you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that next step is to rank those assets because it's going to be your driving factor behind how to determine how robust your strategy is going to be per piece of equipment. What's interesting is every day people do risk management in their head, mm. whether it's, whether it's, you, you know, if you look at uh, the, the basic manual of your car tells you to walk around it before you ever drive it, check all your tire pressures, check the fluids. It tells you to do all that before you ever operate the vehicle every day. And people don't do that on a daily basis. Because internally, they've done exactly what the next several episodes lay out. Um, how critical is it? What is the failure mode? Is the failure mode likely to occur? And in their head, they've determined the risk factor is not great enough for them to walk around the car and check the blinkers because there's things like detectability, right? The blinker blinks faster inside the driver's seat in front of you and gives you an indicator that one of your lamps is out. And so, you, you have detectability. So in your head, you're doing this every day. And even if it's the honeydew list, right? I'm going to fix a hole in the roof before I hang a picture on the wall, usually, right? If I've made choices. So every day we do these, these risk analysis approaches to prioritizing our work. Yet we come to the plant and a pumps, a pumps, a pumps, a pump, and they all get PM the exact same way. And it makes no sense. But the way we tend to operate at work is not always aligned with what we know to be common sense, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, and when it comes to a pump as a pump as a pump, uh, when you visit plants, how often would you say that attitude is out there? Is it out there like half the time, a little more than half the time? Is this most, stuff of the that, time. most of the time. Yeah, because they don't have a criticality analysis. Okay. And so the, the, what, the example I use, right, is, is an exhaust fan. Okay, the question is, you have this exhaust fan in, say, a warehouse where its sole function is just to evacuate heat for comfortability, mm-hmm. right? Um, what's the consequence to the business if that were to fail versus you have an exhaust fan in your ammonia compressor room that has to operate in case there's a pop-off? It has to shut down lock the vapor into a room so that you you're not shooting a vapor cloud into the air um and risking you know possibly killing an entire population (laughs) right and so the consequence to the business of that exhaust fan versus the one in the warehouse um it's completely different and so you know one you can choose to run to failure 
where there's no consequence to the business. The other one, you had better have one of the most robust strategies to make sure that thing works when you need it to Mm -hmm. because of the consequence. And so when you're looking at your assets, you've got to understand what is the consequence of the business. You could have a pump that's outside that might pump uh, runoff water for no reason, just because people thought it was really cool to put in at one time. And you have the same exact pump that's pumping um, oil to your food manufacturing process in order to make a recipe. Right. could be the same two pumps, but the consequences to the business are completely different. Mm-hmm. So and what they end up doing is it's typically on the lower end using the o- OEM manual to derive their PMs. And so they'll do the same maintenance to both pieces of equipment. One, they're doing too much maintenance on the one and they're not doing enough on on the other. And so understanding that and, you know, how critical it is to the process is very important. I think there's a misunderstanding of what that can do for people that are maintenance managers and maintenance supervisors. And I think they don't, you know, it's seen as work, right? So you come in and you assess a plant, you say, hey, you got to get done your criticality analysis. They just see that as an exercise to flag something in the CMMS. Mm-hmm. It's not really, and so it looks like work to senior leadership. They don't understand the benefit of it, right? And the benefit of this is is in several areas. A, it drives how you build that strategy, but B, you're all screaming for resources. I need resources. Yep. Stop PMing your un, you know, your non-critical assets that don't require a PM. You know, you still have to evaluate, you know, the cost of that replacement versus the cost of lubricating it or whatever, you know, because it, you, the process still dictates that you go through some uh, cost analysis and that'll be in further episodes. But generally speaking, that bottom 25 percent, you're going to run the foul. And, well, that's resources that currently are running around executing preventive maintenance that you immediately get back into your shop hmm. that focus on your more critical assets. Uh, so it's really about risk identification, risk mitigation strategy, and an execution of that strategy is really what what all of this boils down to. Uh, and a benefit of it is focusing your resources, your limited resources on the most important work. Yeah, yeah I'm really struck by how much of uh, breaking out of the reactive mode can depend on this. Like you said, it touches both the asset care, but then also it opens up resources uh, that you might not otherwise have had. Um, you're also mentioning the CMMS as a critical tool to recording this information. I mean, people can make a list of critical assets and non-critical assets, but if it's on pen and paper, it's easily lost. Um, could you talk a little bit more about the importance of the CMMS in this process? Um, so um, I'm, we mentioned CMMS to identify the 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 definition of an asset because the definitions are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the the necessity of a CMMS to properly figure out what's critical or not, I think is um, not as important. They can be on paper and be very successful. The okay. CMMS is, you know, unless you're extracting the data, analyzing the data and taking action from the data, the CMMS is a filing cabinet. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. So that's a whole different 12 step program. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at at the least it's a, it's an added convenience because all the data is in one place, but if you're not utilizing it, then there's no value in it. Okay. And and since it's all in one place, you can give permissions to various folks to share it across uh, their laptops, PCs, phones too. So it's easily shareable. Yeah. Um, but again, if you're not utilizing it, hmm. there's no value in it. It's like buying um, an ultra probe and putting it on your shelf and saying that you do predictive maintenance. Like you're you're not getting any value out of it if you don't use it. Buying it doesn't count. Right. You mean the the layer of dust on top of the case isn't an indication of how powerful the tool is? <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> Test dirt. Don't remove. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, let's say someone's starting out from scratch on this. Um, do you have a rule of thumb on how many assets normally end up being critical at a plant versus non-critical? Uh, or is it too variable uh, from plant to plant? Uh, yeah, the rule of thumb is top, typically the top 20% of your assets are critical. Now, that's a rule of thumb, and mm-hmm. there's... <laughs> A lot of industries that have entire processes, the the whole thing is a single point of failure. Mm-hmm. And so it makes everything critical, which means, you know, so it depends on on the industry, it depends on the plant, it depends on the design. Uh, there's a there's a lot of factors there. Okay. Yeah, so let's just look at two really quick examples, right? So you've got um, a manufacturing plant that's got uh, a half a dozen packaging lines the ops manager believes they're all critical because they run every day. Mm-hmm. But when compared to the air compressor, they're not really that critical because one of those goes down and you know, the, you're down one packaging line. If the air compressor goes down, you're down six packaging lines. So having everyone understand criticality is just as important as going through the exercise. If you end up with 50% of your assets being critical, then there was probably a misunderstanding of what criticality means. On the other side of that is, as Joe mentioned, if you have a linear process and no redundancy, then you've got a lot of <laughs> individualized criticality there that, mm-hmm. that you know, when you, when you map out a reliability block diagram and everything, even if every one of those is 99.9% reliable, and, but you have two dozen of them in a linear fashion, um, you're not in good shape. I mean, you're, you're probably by that point, like 60 per 65%, mm-hmm. you know, reliability, like, I mean, I didn't do the math and somebody will probably comment on this, but, but, uh, you know, it's not going to be 90. <laughs> I, I remember talking to someone from, uh, Eli Lilly and when they were doing, uh, exploring which assets to run prescriptive maintenance, uh, pilot programs on, they eventually settled on the chiller because the chiller was a key piece of equipment to maintain temperature throughout the facility, to ensure that the facility stayed in regulatory compliance, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't the production line itself. It wasn't an element of the line. It was, it was the chiller supporting the room and the plant. Well, yeah, I mean, if, well, number one, if you don't have electricity, mm-hmm. how many packages are you going to produce? Right. Right. And no one really thinks about the utilities being the most critical if you don't have and then you need electricity to run the air compressor so which one's more important right Mm -hmm. and so so your electrical power grid 
is one like if you have substations or you know unless you're you know you're fed off the city it kind of depends but and then you have you know air compressor is typically number two because most of the equipment runs off of compressed air at least in the manufacturing facility it's a little different you know by industry but right and but no one is thinking about that type of stuff yeah it, all they're it, saying is my line is the most important right so it's it's usually you know uh, as joe mentioned electrical and then you know life safety stuff so the 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 system he was mentioning earlier with the ammonia um life safety systems then utilities right critical utilities are typically third and they are the last thing anyone in the company is thinking about because all they think about is the widget they make and those systems um are not um prevalent and right in your face when you're thinking about what do we produce right as a business mm-hmm. well i got two more questions uh on my mind for this podcast uh we'll get back to the issue of hey it's my line it's critical for the second question the first one is let's say someone's starting out on a criticality analysis and they've talked they've listened to our podcast uh they've talked to a few people in the field who have done it um when they look inside the plant for folks who can help them prioritize, should they look to the EH&S team, for example, or the, the safety folks to understand, okay, what are some systems that are helping support the whole plant that I might not be aware of, but which might actually be critical? Yes. Nah, we don't care about safety. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course <clears throat> like, it, yes. Yes, right. yes, yes. Right. Like when you go to that about us section of your website, safety is going to be listed there. So sure. they are a critical um, supporting function for the plant to run effectively, as are many other business units. And they should be involved in that. Uh, okay. If you're not sure what the cost of downtime is, then you have to talk to finance. Right. Because if it, you can't derive what the cost of the air compressor going down is versus the cost of a, of a single conveyor. Um, then you're just throwing darts at a board and saying this one is going to cost more than this one, right? Which yeah. may be great if you have five assets, but if you have 10,000 assets, it's not a great delineation between what's important and not. So talking to, you definitely need a cross-functional group in order to do this well. And it depends on your established criteria. So you have to establish a certain set of criteria as you go to ranking your assets. Okay. And I've seen... Even um, when I was at one food manufacturer, legal was a part of their criticality analysis mm-hmm. because of compliance and, and some other issues um, from a legality standpoint. So we even had to pull in the legal team. And so, so it kind of depends on what the established criteria is, what your regulations are. I mean, there, there's a lot of variability um with that cross-functional team but typically it's safety quality operations maintenance right Uh, engineering those will typically be your cross-functional groups and then if there's any outliers like i said legal was one for us Mm -hmm. um due to you know some of the regs that we had um and that's why it's good that that's why it's good to term this more along the lines of risk mitigation, risk identification and mitigation versus criticality analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it, I think Suzanne Greenman does it really well because she calls it risk, right? It, it is risk. That's what you're looking at because if a, if a palletizing robot goes down, but you can't staff doing it manually, then you have just as much risk as, you know, uh, as the conveyor that feeds 
those robots, right? And and if you can staff, then the risk mitigation strategy is different, right? Well, yeah, we can survive it going down because we've got, I don't know, five people waiting just in case it goes down. Not that that would be the case, but mm-hmm. it's really about business continuity as well, right? So it's not just what can the, the business lose, but is there a continuity plan in place that mitigates that risk? Well, and this sort of feeds into the last question I was going to ask, which was, let's say you do have that one person who says, but hey, it's my line. Why is it not critical? Um, it sounds like it's important for that team to come together and identify together what the criteria are for criticality. And that way, that's, it doesn't get personal when it comes to what is and what isn't critical. Because that's that was really hard on my question was, how do you get past the personal connection between a person and their asset who would not feel so good if they if if their line or part of their line wasn't in that criticality list. Yeah, once you agree on criteria, it's mm-hmm. now objective. It's no longer subjective. Yep. Joe answered it when he said you have to have the criteria set in place, right? When you yeah. whether you use Excel or some other tool to do this, that same cross-functional team should be defining those that categorization and scoring mechanism. So mm-hmm. that it doesn't, it becomes a process, right? It, no one, yeah. no individual dictates it. Now, of course, you know, if the plant manager sitting in a room, they, they may or may not try to take that over. But once you've agreed to those established criteria, then the process should take over and it, it, there shouldn't be opinions of, of any of it. Mm-hmm. Well, for all those listening who are going to rely on their force of personality to implement a criticality analysis, the one of the takeaways here is that use that force of personality to build a team and build an objective criteria list and, and identify uh, from the outset what an asset is, is and isn't, and then figure out what the criticality list is. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for our next episode, everyone, which is going to be on failure modes, specifically if critical, how does it fail? Uh, George and Joe, thanks for being here today. 